Welcome back to another episode of Awaken My Soul podcast. My name is Melissa Peters, and today I'm so excited to share with you one of my dear sisters, Annalise Yagya Jyoti. And today we're going to talk about something that comes up very often within my own business, with my sisters, my girlfriends, a very hot topic of discussing your menstrual cycle, tracking your menstrual cycle, natural birth control, and really, really embracing what it means to be a woman and our cyclical nature and really tuning into that rhythm. Hey there. Hi, hi. So good to be here. Thank you for being here. And yeah, this year has really been about me gaining clinical experience working with clients. And we're going to go into like, what is it that I actually do? But I remember when you first asked me to be in the podcast over a year ago, I was like, I don't, I don't know if I can do that. Like, I don't know if I'm ready. But then when we touched base a couple months ago, I was like, yes, like, let's do this. I feel like people are hungry for it. Like you were saying, it's coming up a lot more like in conversation, just with people. It's something that people are hungry for. So I'm excited to be sharing it. Well, thank you for satiating our hunger and our curiosity <laughs> by being here. So the first question I love to ask is, what awakens your soul? Hmm. I, my soul is awakened by stories, by these like mythology stories about the divine feminine. Whenever, like I've been on this, this quest for several years now, living in, in India and in Guatemala and in the States, just like diving into different mythology. Um, and I really, whenever I read it, I'm like, wow, yes, these are the, the archetypes. These are the energies that we can bring into our bodies and put out into the world. And it, it's exciting. I love how you have that rich cultural background of traveling and working with different teachers and experiencing so many different things. I just got back from my honeymoon and just being in Costa Rica and Mexico, I just feel like I've come back with like this different version, this different archetype, like you were just saying. So if you could, for our beautiful listeners, share a little bit about you, why you do what you do, and the journey of, you know, what led you to where you are today. Yeah. So I'm Annalise, Annalise Yagyajyoti. And I teach natural birth control methods and preconception bodily awareness. I teach menstrual cycle tracking. So I got here down a long and windy path, but everything's kind of directed me back here. Really, it came out of the necessity to prevent pregnancy. For me, I was very unhappy with, with birth control. I, over my lifespan, I've used pills. I've had three different IUDs. I've actually gotten pregnant with an IUD in. And so it became very clear to me that, you know, these, these types of contraception weren't working for me. I was depressed. I was anxious. I felt disconnected from my body. And I was in constant fear of pregnancy. Um, I, yeah, I was terrified. And so there came a day, I was doing a yoga teacher training back in Costa Rica. And I just kind of had this moment of like, I can't do this anymore. I can't be on hormonal contraception and like, I'm willing to do what it takes to not. Um, and so I started diving into literature about natural birth control. I'm very like analytical science minded. I have a Virgo sun Capricorn moon. So I just started reading and learning and joining groups on the internet and doing all of these things. And it became very clear to me that there's a lot of methods out there. And if you don't pick one, you're going to get confused, overwhelmed, and it's not going to work. Um, so I started like figuring out which one did I want to use, what made sense, um, and learning about the body. Going into the science of the body opened up the, the energetic capacity as well to like really open up my, my sacral chakra and open up this energy of creation. And so I started creating programs. I started working with like teen girls and I started doing yoga and menstrual outreach. And when I moved to India, I was working at a school doing similar work. And it became very clear to me pretty quickly on that I wasn't qualified to be doing what I was doing. Um, like in a way I was on the 
essence of like every woman is able to type, like every person who bleeds even, is able to tap into their intuitive bodily knowledge and to share that with wisdom. But I was advising on, you know, birth control. I was advising on period cramps. I would as, was advising on fibroids and things that were out of my comfort zone, things that I wasn't willing to give people bad advice on. So I started looking into where can I get trained? What can I, like, who's actually doing this work and training others to do it too? And it's interesting, there's actually three certified schools in the world that are certified to teach fertility awareness, this broader thing. Two of them are taught in English, so I picked between the two of them. And so now I'm finishing up my studies, you know, fast forward a couple of years, I'm finishing up my studies at the Justice International College, and I'm an intern currently, so taking on clients, getting clinical experience, and just soaking in all the knowledge that I can. What a beautiful story, it sounds like you naturally went on your own journey of wanting to go natural with your birth control. And like you said, becoming pregnant is such a fear for a lot of young women. And a lot of women get on birth control as this like trigger response of, I need to prevent this. Um, And like you said, you can even get pregnant with some of them still. Um, But that is such a brave story that you went on and you did your own journey. And now that you're sharing it from this such natural place, you were sharing, feeling like you weren't qualified, but clearly you had been on your own journey. So it sounds like it really bloomed from within this natural Dharma that you're following. It's a beautiful journey. Thank you for sharing that with us. Yeah. Thank you. Of course. So I'd love to dive into the menstrual cycle. And I love how you say re-educating instead of just educating. Like I feel like we are brought up in a society that there's so many stories, you know, lower vibration stories of this is what a period looks like, you know, and it's almost like a burden, seen as a burden when you're younger and a scary thing. And through my own journey, I've become so in love with this shed every month and this, you know, where the veil is thinner and all this, it's such a beautiful process we go through as women. But for you, I would love to hear your story of what your relationship was to your menstrual cycle and what it is now. Yeah. Like most people, I had a, you know, sexual health education that was not good. Um, and I grew up in California at a very liberal school. So it's like, I feel like I probably received some of the best public education available, um, in terms of like sexual health and it still was so lacking. So I spent a lot of my life very disconnected from my body, not wanting to, I was an athlete growing up. And so like, I would feel kind of more sluggish around my period and it like wasn't working for me. I didn't really see a purpose in it. Um, And there was no one in my life that was saying, hey, this is beautiful. Hey, this is necessary. Hey, here are the ways that you can look at your menstrual cycle and see different things. I was lucky growing up and I didn't have, you know, very bad cramps. I didn't have a horrible cycle. Like I have a lot of friends still to this day who have, you know, PCOS and endometriosis or very, very painful menstruation. So I never had that relationship of like, oh, I, I hate this because it hurts me. But it was more of a like, why am I doing this? And so I started my first type of hormonal birth control when I was 16. It was a pill. Um, yeah. And then it kind of stalled there. It was like, okay, I'm on birth control. And as I mentioned before, there was a lot of fear. But as long as I was, you know, feeling like I was protected from pregnancy, I felt okay. But really what awakened me back into the power of the menstrual cycle was this yoga teacher training. They did like a, it's an all female yoga teacher training deep in the jungle of Costa Rica. And so they did like a 10 minute um, introduction to what the menstrual cycle is. And basically someone stood at a whiteboard and she said, all right, you have four phases in your menstrual cycle. You have a follicular phase, an ovulatory phase, a luteal phase and a menstrual phase. And it goes like that. And she said a couple things about each one. And I remember sitting there thinking, I've never experienced my cycle. Like I've never really sat down and noticed the differences. And at the time I was really dealing with some mental health 
like issues that were coming up for me, like really just this like deep sadness and this deep disconnection was, was on the forefront. And so I started thinking, what if it's the birth control? And so I got off and I started feeling better. And, you know, maybe it was actually detoxing from the birth control, which I believe it was, but it's also the empowered step of saying, Hey, I'm going to do something that scares me because I believe it's going to bring me into deeper connection with my body. I'm going to do something that scares me because I know it's right. I'm going to move forward with fear because I can do it because it feels intuitively aligned. And that really, yeah, it opened up a whole new door for me in terms of connecting to my cycle. I started drinking a lot of cacao, um, especially like when I would bleed, I'd have these little cacao ceremonies and I would make notes in my journal about like, how do I feel in the follicular phase? How do I feel when I'm ovulating? How do I feel in the luteal phase? And it's just continued to deepen like this great gratitude that I have now for my cycle as this beautiful thing that tells me when to rest and when to go out into the world and share, it lets me know what's going on with my thyroid, with my heart, with my bones, with my stress. Like I can tell what's going on with my hormones. Now I have such deep reverence and the ability to connect with other people who bleed deepens my connection with the other. Like not only have I deepened my connection to self, but my connection to others. And I feel so, so grateful to be in a line of work where people trust me so deeply with the most intimate part of their bodies. It's such sacred work that what you do and you're so good with expressing yourself online, like your reels and stuff. You say, you said, you posted one <laughs> being like, there's no TMI here. <laughs> like what you apologize for is what I do. But I, I just love that so much. But I really want to emphasize what you said, the intuition, following what feels right within your body, because we're, I feel like the past generations have grown up to feel like I need validation from the external world to know that this is right. Whereas we are changing that paradigm of like, I know my body best. I know it's best for me. And we were mentioning before we hopped on here too, the disclaimer, um, but I think it's important, but also slightly, you know, it's a thing that um, I want to empower people to really tune into their own intuition. But at the same time, we do need to say, you know, what we got to say as well. Yeah, I'm happy to speak to that. So basically the disclaimer is just that I am not a doctor. I am in training to be a holistic reproductive healthcare practitioner. And so any changes that you're thinking about making anything um, direct to you while well, I honor you to um, follow your intuition and to tap in with your body. Also find the support that you need from qualified individuals. And beautiful because you're, you are that expert, but also a doctor if that's what's needed beyond. Yeah. yeah. I'm an expert in natural birth control, preventing pregnancy, but when it comes to menstrual health, you may want to consult someone with more training than I have. Thank you so much. And with that said, now we can really share, you know, what is true for us and our own experiences with this. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned the four different menstrual cycle phases. Can mm -hmm. you go, for those who are new to this concept, why is it important that we know these different phases and what happens if we don't follow them? Yeah, so we live in a society in which we are expected to show up the same every day. But the menstrual cycle doesn't work like that. We have a cyclical nature. So there are four phases, and I mentioned them slightly out of order before. It starts with the menstrual phase, so that's when you're bleeding. And then the follicular phase, which means that the follicle is growing in the body. The ovulatory phase during ovulation and the couple days around it. And then the luteal phase, which is the time in between ovulation and your next bleed. I believe that the menstrual cycle is our fifth vital sign. It lets us know, it lets us know what's going on physically, emotionally, and spiritually if you want to go there. And so I think that if you're not honoring the cycle, if you haven't really taken the time to connect to it in some way, it's gonna start getting louder and louder. And this can show up sometimes as painful periods, 
as, um, yeah, like cramping before, maybe discoloration in blood. It can show up as, you know, a shortened luteal phase. It can show up, like the cycle will change as our bodies are communicating to us. And normally it's communicating something pretty simple and physical. It's like, hey, a lot of times these small changes that we make in our life to honor our bodies make a big difference. Resting more, eating more nutritious foods, walking and dancing and moving your body, um, these all help. I'm definitely not saying that, you know, someone with like severe period cramps just needs to eat a little bit different, but we each have an intuitive knowledge of what our body's asking. But that's a skill that we have to build over time. So that's really the consequence of not building the, the relationship with our cycle is not trusting our own bodies. It's not being able to take the, the vital information that the cycle is giving us and put it into action. If we don't have a connection with our bodies, we're going to experience these menstrual discomforts and just blow past them, you know, try to get through it the best that we can and wish away. And there's another way of doing things is what I want people to know is there's a way of deepening connection to your body, which heals it from the inside. Um, and that's not what's being taught in schools. That's not what's being taught in doctor's offices. And I think it's like, I've seen it with so many people and in myself, just this, this intention to get to know the body better increases health and vitality. Absolutely. And can you go more into what that looks like for each phase? When I think of the different cycles, I think of them as seasons, like inner seasons. So like winter being the bleed, moving into spring, summer, fall. So if you can kind of talk to us a little bit more about what that looks like energetically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So each person will experience things a little bit different but these are the archetypes and they've gotten a lot of traction recently because they're like I talked about in the very beginning, like this idea of stories is something that we can integrate in a very feminine way. So the menstrual phase is like inner winter, like you were saying, it's this time of rest, you know, in winter we have these longer nights, shorter days. It's a time to sleep more, to ground, to stay in, to really, care for your body in the ways that you need. I think of winter as a time, like for me, I'd be very aware of my health and like supplements and getting enough fluids or else I'm gonna get sick. And the same thing actually happens on my period. I have to be very aware of my health or else I'm gonna get sick. Um, but it's a time when the veil is thinner, when you can, like you're in this decreased energy phase but you're able to connect to energy because you're more receptive because not only is, you know, in the work that I do, we talk about nature's gate, meaning the cervix nature's gate has opened so that blood can flow. The endometrium lining is shedding. And so it's this grounding cleansing time where you're more connected to what's below, but also more receptive to what's above. Things are able to more easily integrate. It's also a time of release, not only releasing blood, but releasing emotions, asking your body, tapping in saying, what is it that I need to release right now? Help me release what I don't consciously know. Like, and moving through it. We store so much in our, in our wombs that needs to be cleansed and released. We store not only what we've experienced in our own lives, but that of our mother and our grandmothers and the women who have come before us. Like it's stored physically in our bodies and menstruations and it's a time to release it. So we often look down on menstruation before we know about it as like, a, Ugh, I don't feel great. I don't want to be around anyone. This, this is kind of weird. But when you really tap into the, the powerful capacity of it, the archetype of, of winter, of release, it also reminds me of like Kali type archetypes of like goddess Kali of like this, like, fiery release. Um, yeah, menstruation, it really has the capacity to be really powerful. So once we stop bleeding, we move into the next phase, which is our inner spring. This is the follicular phase. This is a time when, you know, estrogen starts to rise in the body. So we've got a little more energy. We start to feel a little more attractive, um, more like hopeful. <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's the archetype of like the young maiden. It's like, oh, everything is new again. Hmm. And I think of this as like a way of, you know, after we've rested and we've released of going back into the world and seeing what it is that we want to do, seeing what it is that we want to create or call in or experience. Then in ovulation, you know, if we think about it physiologically, this is a time when our body could potentially reproduce. So oftentimes people will feel more attractive. They'll feel more confident. They'll feel like their skin is clearer. It's the summer archetype of like, I can do it. I can do it. Like, I can do it all. And so sometimes this is getting ahead of myself, but sometimes people take on too much in the summer aspect and they're like, I can do everything. And then in the following weeks, they're like, I can't do this. Um, <laughs> but it's really just a time of expansion and brightness and calling in and manifesting. Then we move into the last phase, the fourth phase, which is the luteal phase, which is our inner spring. It's a time of coming back into our bodies. It's a time of kind of turning internally. It's a time to prepare what you need in order to rest fully in menstruation. This, and is, kind of, mm -hmm. this is fall, right? Inner fall or autumn? Yeah. Okay. Autumn or fall, exactly. Okay. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying. Yeah. And I noticed like in myself, this is the time when I want to clean the house more. This is the time when I want to edit my papers. This is the time also that if someone is bugging me, I'm more likely to be mean to them. Uh, <laughs> like it's a time when I really have to be on it with my communication because that like, we're taught so often to be feminine. We have to be kind and cheery and, you know, just good to everyone. But I feel like kind of the like, angry feminine, the repressed feminine, the, the Kali feminine, the Durga comes out in the luteal and the menstrual phases where it's like, no, I'm going to do what I want. Yes. Like, I'm going to do exactly what I want. Like, don't cross me. And, yeah. Some people look upon that as an, as a negative, but I think it's so powerful. And honestly, as I get older, I think it's so much more fun too. Um, <laughs> within limits, within limits and knowing myself and being able to plan my life kind of around that. But um, <laughs> it's a fun time. So those are the four phases. The first half is more, you know, after we bleed, it's more external, more energetic. And then we come back into this half of, you know, grounding, homing, creating space. So beautiful. And that cycle is usually 29 days, right? The full cycle? Okay. The whole circle, it depends on your body. I mean, like the scientific average is around 28 days, which is the same as the moon cycle. Um, or like, yeah, 28 and a half. Um, but not everyone has a 28-day cycle. Um, and it's not needed to be a healthy person. And then ovulation. Mm -hmm. Because you are in the line of work of natural birth control, I feel like talking about the time period of ovulation is very valuable because that's the only time period we can actually become pregnant. Is that true? Yeah. So ovulation, after ovulation, the egg that we release, the ovum, is only alive for 12 to 24 hours. And that is the only time that it can actually get fertilized. But our fertile window, our potential fertility is longer than that because sperm can live in the body for up to five days if they have the right type of cervical mucus. So we have six days of potential fertility, um, assuming that someone is producing cervical mucus and that there are healthy sperm, we have six days of potential fertility, which is a relatively small window. And really it's only that 12 to 24 hours when the egg is alive, when fertilization can happen. I remember one of the things that really stood out to me about you was your ability to talk about the cervical fluid, like the, would you say mucus? Is that what it is? I say mucus. Mucus. Yeah, I say fluid as well. Some people are uncomfortable with the word mucus. So how do you go about, would you say testing or examining? How would you go about, because yeah. people are like, feel like it's really clinical or medical to go in and connect with your cervix, which is a whole nother thing. So I would love for you to share with us, how do we go about 
tracking our cycle, but also connecting with that cervical fluid. Mm. Well, so keep in mind, as I mentioned before, there's a lot of different methods. So I teach a method called the Justice method. Um, and that's what I've been training for the last several years. And so the way that we check for mucus in that and the way that it's been found in clinical trials is just before and after you go to the bathroom, you know, all throughout your cycle, you wipe from front to back and you see if there's anything on the tissue. This is going to be a very simplified version of it. Um, I go much more into depth with my clients about how to do this, but you're checking before and after you go to the bathroom, you're checking for sensation and you're asking, was that dry? Was it smooth? Was it lubricative? Um, and then you're looking at it. You're saying like, what's the color? What's the consistency? Well, first of all, is there anything there? <laughs> Second of all, what's the color? What's the consistency? Has it changed? Is this what it looked like an hour ago, a week ago? you know, last cycle. And really what we're looking for is cervical mucus is an indication that estrogen is rising in the body. Estrogen is produced in the ovaries as the follicle is developing. The follicle actually produces its own estrogen. So as it's doing this, the cervical crypts, these little root-like structures in the cervix start to secrete mucus. And we can see it at the vulva. Um, like as you're wiping, you don't actually have to go all the way in and touch your cervix to check. It's showing up with the vulva. It's moving through. Um, so that's an intro in checking for cervical mucus and kind of what it is. Um, and it's, it's about so much more than birth control. It's about really monitoring your reproductive health. Because once you become so comfortable with your own body, your own fluids, it's, it's empowering because you're able to notice differences. You're able to notice when you might need an outside opinion, but you're not running to the doctor for every little thing. You know, you say like, oh, this is interesting. This is, you know, coming out of my vagina, but this is actually normal for me. Or, oh, this is interesting. This is not normal for me. I should go get a second opinion. And, you know, also looking at when does cervical mucus show up? You know, we want cervical mucus showing up around the time of ovulation, you know, leading up to ovulation. Some people will have cervical mucus showing up in their luteal phase, which isn't necessarily ill health, but it means that there's estrogen rising. It's like, then there's an inquiry into like, why is estrogen rising at this point in the cycle? So it's a, a touch point for getting to know your own body and for having a, a language in which the body communicates to you. It's about decoding. What does this mean? And cervical mucus will change throughout the cycle depending on how much estrogen is there. It'll become more estrogenic, more clear, more stretchy, more lubricative. Um, those are the three, like, in my method, we call them peak type mucuses. Anything that is lubricative or clear or stretchy. Anything else that's finger testable, we call non-peak. It's still fertile. They're both fertile. All mucus in my method is fertile, but we can tell how much estrogen there is depending on the type of mucus. So when it's clear, thicker, and more elastic is generally mm -hmm. when you're in ovulation. So now it can be difficult to pinpoint exactly the day of ovulation, but we can pinpoint when fertility is possible when it would be possible. So as we're getting estrogen peaks one day before ovulation, and so there's a whole day where, you know, estrogen peaks. And so the ovaries say to the brain, hey, brain, it's time to ovulate. So the brain releases a hormone called LH. LH gets released and then ovulation happens. And so what we know is that the last day of peak type mucus, so last day in your cycle, we're getting peak type mucus, which is clear or stretchy or lubricative. Ovulation is going to happen two days before that or three days after, if it's going to happen. Okay. There are times when people will not ovulate in a cycle, um, but if it's going to happen, it's going to happen in that window of five days. So is this typical for women who have normal periods or is this something that you would see? It just depends because every body is different between amenorrhea, PCOS, you know, women who aren't bleeding right now. Does this look different for them? in terms of cervical mucus and ovulation? Yes. Yes. So everyone's body is going to look a little different. Um, 
And like the biggest thing that I see in my practice is I have a lot of clients who have just gotten off of hormonal birth control after like six, eight, 10 years. And so normally there's a, a considerable window of time where the body's not producing cervical mucus or it's not producing peak mucus, but it'll produce non-peak. And it really just depends on someone's reproductive history, what their cycle was like before they went on hormonal birth control. And then if we even step away from that, like, you know, when we talk about PCOS and amenorrhea and all of these things, there, someone could be, you know, not on hormonal contraceptives, but not producing cervical mucus, like a lot of it. And that's something that has to do with just declining fertility over time with less nutritious foods, more environmental toxins, with, you know, things like 5G even in these electromagnetic frequencies, they can have an impact on our fertility, on the fluids that we're producing. Um, that being said, people are often very, like the body's resilient. Once we start making small intentional changes, the body will recoup. The body wants to work. Our bodies are always trying to communicate with us. And so it's about figuring out like, what is my individual body asking? So the charts are a beautiful example of being able to read what your body is saying to you. But everyone's cycles are going to look a little different and they're going to look different throughout your life, depending on how much stress you're under, depending on what's going on around you, depending on what's going on inside of your body. And that's okay. It's okay to have variation. Like we're not the same from day to day, from cycle to cycle, we're different. So for the women who currently aren't bleeding and want to have a regular period that they connect to a regular season, what do you recommend? I recommend an inquiry into, first of all, why they aren't bleeding. You know, there's a lot of reasons why someone isn't having a period. The most popular ones these days are hormonal contraceptives. A lot of them will stop you from bleeding. If that is the case, you probably won't start bleeding until you stop taking that. But sometimes it has to do with nutrition or stress. And stresses can be anything that the body internalizes as stress. This could be an argument, this could be weather, this could be temperature, this could be the style of eating, like literally anything, depending on how your nervous system intakes it. So I guess the other general recommendation then is to lessen stress, to do whatever you can that feels nourishing. Maybe it's meditation. Maybe you're making more teas. Maybe you want to work with an herbalist to get some teas that may, may start menstrual flow. Maybe you want to develop more meditation, make candles, take an hour less at your job, sleep more, do more things that make you laugh. You know, anything that's going to, that feels fun for you, that feels like, yeah, I could do that. That'd be nice. Like, I'd like to do that. Like, give that a try. <laughs> I love it. And for those who want to begin connecting deeper with their cycle and know, like, what cycle am I in? What day am I in? What do you recommend for those people wanting to really connect and track their cycle? Start keeping track. You know, there's a lot of different ways to do that. Today, there's there's phone apps, um, there are, you can create your own like physical paper chart. You can just have a little thing in your phone. But I like to tell people to start by just noticing how you feel day to day and like write it down. Maybe it's a little journal. Maybe you write down what you noticed. Um, getting into, or maybe you wanna track the moon. That's something that I say to people who aren't having a menstrual bleed sometimes or for you know young men, or I've had actually like partners of mine, I've asked them to like track their moon cycle um, by tracking the full moon and new moon and seeing how they feel each day. Um, and so that's always an option too. The biggest thing is intention. You know, sitting down, like I think cacao is a really powerful tool for relaxation and manifestation as well as hormone balance. So I recommend cacao to a lot of people like have a cacao ceremony like if you are bleeding maybe you want to have a ceremony each day when you first bleed and that ceremony can be as simple as you sitting down with a cup of cacao just sipping it slowly or it can be as complex as you want you can get out your candles and your orc cards and your incense and you know i play sound bowls you can get out your sound bowls and you can journal and you can just talk to spirits you can do whatever like there's such a spectrum of what your individual ceremony is but it's around intention, around honoring your cycle. 
I love that so much. I <laughs> want to do that. I am pretty in sync with the full moon. So I'm on day mm. 24 right now. So yeah, within this next week, <laughs> the full moon and bleeding. So I'm curious on a more personal note, where are you at in your cycle? Today I am on day nine. So I'm in my follicular phase, not in tune with either the full moon or the new moon right now, but in tune with my body's own natural rhythm. I've found, I'm in North Carolina right now and we're changing into fall. And I've lived in California for a good portion of my life. So I haven't had these like changing seasons and I have noticed that it's impacting my cycle here. Um, like it came a little bit sooner than I was expecting and the one before that was longer. Um, and I think it has to do with the cycles. But yeah, I'm on day nine. On day nine. Awesome. awesome. And so you just finished bleeding. So you're in your inner spring. Yeah. So I had about four days of bleeding and now I've had five days of dry mucus, no mucus. Mm -hmm. So that sounds like a great time to schedule a podcast interview. Like when we were booking this, I was like, I wonder where she's at in her cycle for this. <laughs> so for, for scheduling, you know, these kind of creative projects, would you say anywhere from like spring to summer is a good time to be working on, you know, creating things? Or when do you think is a good time for people to schedule in their projects? It depends on the project. Um, yeah, it's like for something like this, I would prefer to be in spring or summer um, because I'm just more optimistic. I'm more able to put my words together. I've done like a pod like a podcast when I was bleeding and I like couldn't enunciate words. And I was like, well, this isn't great. <laughs> but if it's like, you know, an art project or something more internal, then I may want to do it in my luteal phase or even like when I'm bleeding. I normally try to do absolutely nothing productive the first day of my bleed. Like that's my rule. It's like the first day of my bleed, I do nothing productive if that's possible. <laughs> some days it is, some days it isn't. Um, but it's also interesting when we think of like planning our lives and scheduling things in in the calendar. Like you were saying that you have a very regular cycle that's synced up with the moon. A lot of people don't. So you can be like trying to schedule a, a project for far in the future. And the menstrual cycle really doesn't like to be put in a box. If I were to like, you know, I'm giving the menstrual cycle a personality here and describing her, she doesn't want to be scheduled. You know, it's, it's this idea of being able to choose what you want to do each day and how you want to show up. That's really how the menstrual cycle thrives because some people will be in their summer in their ovulation and they'll feel awful. And like, that's okay. Like, it's okay to not feel like you're in sync with, like, there's no, like, you're supposed to feel this or you're supposed to do that. These are archetypes that I talk about, but there's no, like, you have to feel this way. Our bodies are also unique, but noticing what you feel like in each phase, or if you feel a difference at all, will help you in, in making decisions, you know, about your social life and about your work life and about your intimate relationships. That's a great point. I'm really glad you clarified that for us because our experience may not be like the next woman's experience with mm -hmm. their cycle. It's probably not. <laughs> and what we can do to help support our hormones and our cycle could be, you know, seed cycling, herbs or supplements. If there's anything you want to add on to that, I would love to hear from you how we mm -hmm. can support our cycle. Yeah, seed cycling is a very interesting concept. It's not one that I know a lot about, but what I like about it is the intentionality. I like the intention of like, in my luteal phase, I don't actually know which seeds they tell you to take, but in my luteal phase, I'm gonna have, let's say flax seeds because it increases estrogen. And like, I want to prepare my body for ovulation. Like doing anything with that level of intentionality, I think is so beautiful. And like, I don't know if it works or not, but the intention is there. I also think it's a powerful way to get to know your cycle more. Be like, huh, why would taking this seed help? And seeds in general are pretty healthy. You know, if you feel like your body can digest it, that's another thing. If you're seed cycling and you feel awful, don't seed cycle. Like, <laughs> listen to your body. But in general, like seeds have a lot of healthy fats. And I feel like women and people who bleed need a lot more fats. It's something that we've been kind of scared away from by diet culture, 
but we need fats to like coat our nervous system and function normally and actually digest food. So adding in seeds sounds like a great idea to me. Um, but yeah, I'm not the most knowledgeable on seed cycling itself, but I like the idea. Herbs are so powerful. And I really recommend if you're like curious about working with herbs to find someone who's very knowledgeable in them. I love the idea of connecting with an individual herb. Like myself, I work with ashwagandha and nettle and vitex. And those have been three very powerful herbs that have helped me with stress and menstrual cycle regularity and intentionality. And so I make a lot of teas, I pray with my herbs. I just try to connect with the energy of the herb and I ask, what are you here to teach me? Um, what is it that you wanna show me? And developing that connection. Um, one herb that I, I suggest very often to people, again, I'm not an herbalist or a doctor, but for menstrual cramps is red raspberry leaf tea. Um, you can make it throughout your cycle and drink it. It's very safe. It's, it tastes pretty good. It's not super sweet, but it's like tasty. And it does help with those muscular contractions. If you're someone who's experiencing a lot of cramps, um, also on the term of cramps, I recommend castor oil packs a lot. So castor oil will stain your clothes. So make sure that you're wearing things that can be stained. And then you'll just put it on your body, like in a cloth with a heat pack on top of it. That can be very helpful. I take pain very seriously. Um, you know, there are things that we can do with the menstrual cycle to alleviate pain over time. But when you're in acute pain, you know, changing your diet isn't actually gonna help you right now today. Like I take pain very seriously. So I often will recommend people to do heat and castor oil packs and red raspberry leaf tea. Um, beyond that, those are like things that I recommend a lot. Mm -hmm. I love that you recommended the raspberry leaf tea because I've heard drinking, it, I've heard like one cup on its own won't really do too much, but if you drink like two to three cups a day for multiple days, it really helps throughout your cycle. Mm -hmm. And to talk about seed cycling for anyone who wants to know more about that, um, they recommend one tablespoon of each so starting with the menstrual cycle, it's ground flax, pumpkin seeds, and then the follicular ground flax, pumpkin seeds, the same thing for both menstrual and follicular, and then ovulation, sesame seeds, sunflower seeds, and same with luteal, sesame seeds, sunflower seeds. So as, as you said, like the estrogen and the different hormones can help to be balanced with those seeds. Awesome. So switching gears a little bit, I know it all kind of goes hand in hand. I would love to dive more into the natural birth control. Yeah. A lot of women have come to me with this question of like, what do you recommend? I'm on birth control and I want to get off. And my instant thought is get to know your cycle when you're ovulating, because that's when you're most fertile, but not everyone thinks that way. So I'm curious what you would recommend for a woman who's been taking this for years? Yeah. My first recommendation is to create space to feel into what your body wants, what it is that you want. And it's like, once you know that you want to get off, there are options available. And one thing that comes up a lot for people, like we can work on the, I will go into the physicality of how natural birth control works and what fertility awareness is. But the biggest thing that comes up for people that stands in their way is fear. This fear of like, I don't know my body. I don't trust my body. I don't know how to do it. I'm gonna do it wrong. Um, and you know, based off the assumption that there are wrong decisions and wrong things, but yeah, my biggest advice is to like hold space for those feelings and to get the support that you need to move through that fear. And so like, that's what I do as a practitioner is like really a lot of education so that people feel safe in using this method. So natural birth control can refer to a lot of things. It can be talking about herbs or various practices or even like I've seen it referred to for like meditations. What I do is under the branch of fertility awareness, and even then it gets much more specified into a symptothermal method. So sympto meaning symptom, thermal meaning temperature, so we're looking at mucus and temperature and other fertility indicators. And it's based off the idea, the proven 
fact that our body sends us signals about fertility. I talked about earlier how there are six potential days of fertility, and we can tell when those are because of mucus and, and you know temperature. And some people will feel ovulation, which is called middle schmerz in their low back or their left or right side even. Um, there's all these secondary fertility characteristics that you can track and learn to see. And yeah, it's highly effective with a waiting period. So it takes most people a minimum of three months to figure out how to do this. So whenever I start working with someone, I say, okay, we're gonna start tracking and learning and educating, but you're gonna just consider yourself fertile for three months, whatever that means for you. For some people, they will choose to be abstinent for those full three months. Some people will incorporate barriers like condoms or diaphragms. Um, yeah, those are pretty much the, the two options that people lean towards, either abstinence or sex with barriers for about three months to get used to it. And that waiting period can be longer if you're coming off of hormonal birth control. It depends how long it takes your cycles to regulate. Um, yeah, my biggest advice is to work with someone, is to get the support that you need to you know, join a Facebook group, create a community group, come see a practitioner like myself, um, get the support that you need and explore your options, see what feels good for you um, and calculate your level of risk. That's a big one. It's like, how, am I willing to take risks with this? I ask people like on a scale of one to 10, one being like, like zero being like, uh-uh, not having babies, not an option, no. 10 being like, I want them, I'm trying. Where are you at? And that'll decipher like what type of natural birth control or birth control in general is good for you and about the behaviors that are appropriate with that, that risk. Um, and so really with what I do, under the umbrella term of fertility awareness is teaching you the days that you are potentially fertile and then you get to make decisions. Are you going to abstain? Are you going to use barriers? What are you going to do with that information? And also getting to know your cycle in, in its entirety, seeing the entire thing. So there are a lot of options and they're not taught about in schools. And often if you'll go to your doctor and you will say like, hey, I wanna use natural methods, it's very likely that they'll say like, oh, those don't work. Because it's not being taught in one way. There's a lot of misinformation. There's a lot of people that aren't qualified that are teaching, like myself when I first started, like I've been there. Um, it's not being taught in schools. It's not being taught to doctors. Like this is something that could be taught to medical doctors and they could look at your charts with you. Like, can you imagine a world like that? When you go to a doctor and they're like, oh, this is very interesting on day 18, you remarked that you had like sore boobs, what was going on? Like being able to have that type of a, a conversation. And so, yeah, there's more options than you think there are and that there's qualified people that are ready to help. So for those looking for natural birth control methods, you mentioned getting to know your cycle, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing when you're fertile. And yeah. then on those days when you're fertile, using a barrier or abstinence. Mm -hmm. So when you're not fertile on those other days, do you feel like people need some sort of barrier or birth control method? Or do you feel like people are pretty safe? Well, you know, there's, when we talk about like STI protection, that's a good reason to use barriers all the time. But like myself in, in the partnership that I'm in right now, which is monogamous on a day when I know I'm not fertile, we will have unprotected sex. Um, and I feel like that's completely safe. And I have three years of experience, you know, of being in my body and using this method and having unprotected sex on days when I know I'm not fertile and I haven't gotten pregnant. It's something that you gain confidence over time. So no, I don't see a necessity like birth control wise to use barriers when you're not fertile. The only reason to do so is you know, if it's creating fear in you, if it's something that you're not comfortable with, if you want to protect yourself from STIs, there are, well, I mean, not all barriers will protect from STIs. That's predominantly condoms, diaphragms, and cervical caps will not protect from STIs. Um, but yeah, there, there are some reasons to use it, but in terms of contraception, once you've confirmed ovulation and your mucus has gone back to normal, you're in the clear. You, if there's no cervical mucus, sperm cannot stay alive. 
And so they can't stay alive. And if there's no egg, there's nothing to fertilize. So it's like, if you know where you're at in your cycle and you know why each section of the cycle happens the way that it does, which is a big part of what I do. It's like menstrual re-education. Like this is what actually happens in the menstrual cycle. This is the ovarian cycle. This is the cervix. This is what it does. Like learning in that depth of what's going on in your body can give you the confidence to, you know, express yourself freely sexually. I think that's really important how you mentioned the STIs, but also if you're in a monogamous relationship where you feel safe um, to have unprotected sex, the main natural birth controls are just going to be condoms, diaphragms. Am I missing anything else? Cervical caps, but they're similar to diaphragms. And then there's good old pulling out withdrawal. Pulling out. Okay. <laughs> I was going to ask about that with you for a friend, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> for a friend, right? What are your thoughts on the pullout method when you're not fertile versus when you are fertile? Well, when you're not fertile, it's actually not necessary, but it helps people's minds stay at ease. So the pull-out method is probably the most ancient form of birth control that we have. It was probably invented about five minutes after sex. Um, you know, it's very like, you know, if you're like, wait, when that happens, pregnancy happens. So if we just pull out the penis. So where that gets tricky is this, this concept of pre-cum, of pre-ejaculatory fluid. So the Cowper's gland in the male body will release an alkaline fluid during sexual arousal that makes the urethra the right pH to keep sperm alive. And, you know, if it didn't do that, the sperm would die in the urethra. Like they, sperm are very, very temperamental to the right pH. And so that's the fluid that's coming out. It's coming from the Cowper's gland, not from the testicles. So it doesn't actually have its own sperm, but it can pick up sperm along the way. So they've done a lot of research and it's very frustrating to someone like me because <laughs> the research is like, sometimes it does, sometimes it doesn't. Some men will only, or some male people will only have slow sperm in their pre-cum. Some will have quick, good sperm. And so it's like, who knows? They've given us not very satisfactory answers. But from what we do know is that it can be like around 95% effective when used correctly. Like, and to use it correctly means that the male partner is actually able to pull his penis out in time and that ejaculation is happening away from the vulva, anywhere but the vulva, <laughs> anywhere where there's not cervical mucus, and that the man has urinated in between ejaculations to help clean out the urethra. That still won't bring it up to 100. It won't increase it any more than what it already is, but those are things that help it to be its highest efficacy. So I always lean towards caution. You know, I, I do have clients who are trying to actively get pregnant, but most of my clients right now are trying to avoid pregnancy. So I say, if you're going to use withdrawal on a day when you think you may be fertile or you know that you're fertile, you can combine it with a condom. You can combine it with a cervical cap or a diaphragm um, and allowing people to make that decision for themselves, knowing that no barrier is 100% effective. And so it helps to increase the efficacy when you're using two different methods. And withdrawal can be a great one. It's free, um, you know, assuming that the male partner is comfortable with it, that it's something that he has learned or can learn. That's very important. It's something that I use in my sex life. Um, and I think it's great. Like, so I can walk you through like how I avoid pregnancy real quickly. Yes, please. So on the days when I know that I'm not fertile, I'll have unprotected sex. So this is after I've confirmed ovulation and my first three days of bleeding. From the third day up until ovulation, I'll use the pull-out method. My partner will pull out. And then after I've come, yeah, that's it. No. <laughs> so from the time of like my third day up until I start producing cervical mucus, he will pull out. From the day that I start producing cervical mucus until I've confirmed ovulation, my partner wears a condom and he pulls out because I'm at a zero on that zero to 10 list on, in terms of like wanting babies right now. And I'm, the reason why I use caution in the first half of the cycle while I have like my partner pulling out is because I know that that's the only place where the method could potentially fail. It's a day when like, what if I didn't see my cervical mucus? 
or, you know, it just helps my mind to stay at ease um, and with the knowledge that I have. But so, yeah, there's like three phases of, of my cycle in terms of protection from, from pregnancy. So depending on the type of hormonal contraception and how long you are on it, it can take, you know, maybe you'll return to cycling immediately, but we've also seen cases of up, it can take up to 18 months. So three months is the learning period for like my general, like someone that I'm working with. I say, we're going to start with a minimum of three months of considering yourself fertile. But for someone on birth control, it depends how long it takes their cycles to, to regulate, which can be up to 18 months. Normally it's not that long, but it can be. Um, but yeah, space, time, intention, and support. Get the support, support. that you need. An herbalist, a practitioner, um, friends. Like It can be a lot emotionally and physically. And so find the support that you need. So I'd be curious to know from your experience, like, what is the biggest misconception around women using birth control? Hormonal. Yeah. So there's two that comes to mind. The first one is that hormonal birth control will fix your periods. So a lot of times when someone's having an irregular period, a painful period, um, they've been diagnosed with endometriosis or PCOS, their doctor will put them on to birth control to fix their period. And they'll be like, oh, I'm bleeding once a month and it's not as painful. My period is done. My skin is cleared up. Um, but it's not actually fixing anything. It's masking and it's creating an easier period. There's no ovulation, so it's not actually a period, but a, you know, an easier time. But those problems are still underneath. So there's nothing wrong with you know, going on hormonal contraception, honestly, to get a break from those painful you know, periods or you know, dysregularity or the fear. But I think it's an injustice that people are told that it's gonna fix them and that there's no long-term consequences because there are, mm. and it doesn't fix anything. It just kind of creates a break or a mask. Like your body's resilient and it's smart and it's gonna be able to heal itself with the right tools. It might send you on a little healing journey first. It might need you to meet a couple of people that will give you some advice, but your body's gonna be able to heal itself. Like being able to trust that intuitive wisdom of the body and the intuitive truth of the body is immeasurable, is incredible. Ah, yes. Trusting in the process, the natural healing process. Mm, yeah. On that note, I would love to talk about hormonal health because I know you're really passionate about that. Are there yeah. any ways that we can help to regain balance over hormones as female bodied people? Yeah, what I've been saying several times is the body's going to heal itself. You know, if we look at the ovarian cycle, even the first half of your cycle, the ovary is producing estrogen, the second half, it's producing progesterone. When we talk about hormone health in a female body, when we talk about hormone balance or imbalance, we're normally talking about estrogen and progesterone. They have these balancing effects, they balance each other out. So we have like times of more estrogen, times of more progesterone. And that cycle is what leads to, to healthy health, healthy health, to healthy cycles and hormone balance in a very simplified way of speaking, of course. And so I think that some of the easiest ways to balance your hormones, to feel like your hormones are vivacious and vital is to spend time in nature. Like that actually will change your hormone balance. Um, having like green foods and antioxidants, eating things that your body can digest and that feel good. I think any sort of like joy also will bring in like, it's the energetic frequency of healing. So singing, dancing, being with friends, like these things all help us. Sleep, sleep is huge. Try to get at least seven hours of sleep. Consecutive would be great. Um, <laughs> decrease stress. Um, and then, yeah, just continue to check back in with your body. If you're noticing something that doesn't feel right, ask your body what it needs. Ask, what can I do? What can I try? Um, and not from like a place of like desperation or frustration, but from a place of curiosity. Like, hmm, this is interesting. What would you like me to incorporate? Like looking at the body as a teacher. Mm. I love that. And for people that feel disconnected to their body and the yeah. messages that are coming through, 
I think a lot of us kind of overcomplicate a lot of these things or overthink about it, but how can we get back into our body and listen to that? There are so many reasons for us to not be in our bodies right now. Um, and you know, something that comes up in my work, a surprising amount is sexual trauma. Um, and you know, any sort of trauma that makes you want to leave the body will impact your relationship to your body. And what we're learning now is that everyone has trauma. Trauma isn't just the event, but it's how your body registered it and stored it. So, like it, it's a genuine quest for embodiment. Embodiment is, you know, it's a word that's kind of thrown around a lot in hippie circles, but it really means to like be in your body. And for each person, that's going to look a little different. And so, you know, it can start by just like really paying attention to the ways that your fingers touch your thumbs, to the way that your head feels when you scratch it, to have a soft blanket on your skin. Like a lot of people need to retrain their bodies and their minds that they're, they're safe in their bodies you know, psychology, like finding a therapist or a Reiki practitioner or a body worker, these can all be very helpful as well. You know, proceeding with caution, everyone's medicine is going to be different um, with what they need and what feels nourishing to them. But the intentionality, like I strongly believe that the body wants to support us. Like I, I believe that our bodies only exist to support us you know, in either fulfilling dharma or quest or in health or in whatever the body's doing for us, it's, it's out of love and respect. So looking to the body as a teacher, looking to the body as a place to rest and asking, it's like, how can I interact with you in a new way? And I know part of the work that you do is like self-pleasure can be an incredible quest of embodiment of, you know, reclaiming the story that like, I have to wait for someone else to give me pleasure or maybe the stories that I don't deserve pleasure or, you know, whatever it is, like there's anything that you can do that puts you in your body, like dancing, singing, walking, walking very slowly. Maybe you're really paying attention to how your heel hits or like kisses the earth and then the rest of your foot slowing down, retraining, opening up a sense of safety. Mm. Safety is so, so important to be in our bodies. A lot of us, you know, eject out from, like you said, trauma. And I just want to say thank you for the work you're doing, the support, the container that you hold for women that are moving through trauma because it's, it's so needed. So thank you. Thank you. There are some rapid fire questions I would love to, to ask you just so we can get to know you a little bit more on a personal level. Yeah. What is the greatest lesson you've learned? That the body can heal itself. Um, you know, I've been saying that over and over again, but it's so, I see it time and time again in myself and in others. What did you want to be when you were a child? <laughs> there are two things. I wanted to either be on Broadway or to be a trophy wife. Oh, hey. <laughs> oh, you just get to be beautiful and wealthy? <laughs> That sounds fun. And now you get to do both without having to be a trophy wife, right? I get to make my own money too. And you make your fun <laughs> real, so technically you are on your own stage. So hey, yeah. I have so much fun with those. You're so good at it. What advice would you give to your younger self? You know your body better than anyone else does. Mm. Yes. <laughs> Who has been your greatest influence or mentor? Oh my God, there's, I've had so many, I've had so many, but probably the biggest one is like my mom. Um, my mom made a lot of health changes after she was diagnosed and beat breast cancer mm -hmm. around like hormone health and synthetic hormones in the medical industry. And it really changed the way that I looked at things. Wow. That's beautiful. Props to your mama. She's great. And for those wanting to connect with you, do you have any offerings or freebies, anything you want to share with us? Yeah. 
So you can find me on Instagram, Mystic Feminine Fertility. I'm always releasing fun, free content, currently creating a lot more things on my website. But specifically for listeners of this podcast, I would love to offer you $100 off any of my programs if you want to come and work with me. Um, go ahead and schedule a free consultation either on Instagram or on my website, and we'll talk about what that would look like. And you mentioned to connect with you at mystic underscore feminine underscore fertility on Instagram, and yeah. your website is also mysticfemininefertility.com. That's where I am. Awesome. And two more questions for you. <laughs> Do you have any favorite books, resources for anyone listening who wants to dive more into this content? Yeah. One of the big books that I found really accessible that I also like loved, it's called Code Red by Lisa Lister. That was the last book that I read before I was like, I need to get off hormonal birth control. Um, that's what really like set over the edge. Um, taking charge of your fertility is a great resource for anyone who doesn't want to work with a practitioner for whatever reason, um, who feels like a, a self learner. It's got a lot of, it's dense and it's a big book, but it's great. Um, yeah, so many great books. Um, how we got hooked on hormonal birth control is another very interesting read. Um, just about like the medical industry and about birth control itself. So those are probably the three that I would suggest to someone taking charge of your fertility, how we got hooked on hormonal birth control and code red. Wonderful. I'll link all of those in the description below. Thank you for sharing those. And any last message that you have that wants to come through as we close this episode that you want to Mm -hmm. share with our listeners? The menstrual cycle is a gift. It is truly an opportunity to learn about our bodies learn about ourselves, to honor our energy. And it makes us unique in this world, in the patriarchy. And that's okay, that we're on a mission, you know, people doing this work, there's so many, to change what is acceptable in society. Your menstrual cycle right now may make you different, but we're creating a world in which the cycle is honored. And so not to be discouraged. Yes. It's amazing how in the ancient times it was so revered and we're coming back to that. Mm-hmm. I would love to be in a red tent, you know, and welcome <laughs> my daughter into that when she believes. And I just want to say thank you so much for the work you're doing, anchoring in this new paradigm of remembering how beautiful it is to be a woman and honor our cycle. Mm. Thank you so much for having me on and for the work that you do. My goodness. Thank you so much.